0: What's going on, everybody? Okay, so this next episode of the 4th Wall Writing Podcast is going to be a little bit different. So, back in 2019, I did these interviews with these great comics writers at Dragon Con. It was originally for Do You Even Comic Book, which later turned into Comic Horizon, and we never got them out. So, because I have this content, and I think it's pretty good, valuable content, I want to go ahead and put these short interviews out on this episode because I really don't want you guys to miss out on them. They are not as focused on writing as the usual episodes of the fourth wall writing podcast, but there's still some valuable stuff in here. And if you guys know these writers, especially for comic fans, uh, you're going to want to listen to this. So check out these interviews. Please ignore the music. This music that was used for then also ignore the quality because you have to remember I was recording live on site at Dragon Con. So I was not using any great mics. Uh, was just Using the phone recorder and the conversation was back and forth between being the creator in person so again this episode is going to be a little bit different it's more comic focused but it is still all done by great writers so please enjoy we're starting the first one off with an interview i did with peter david thank you okay.
1: What's going on everybody? Uh, This is Skirits as usual, Uh, John with the Do You Even Review Cast. Uh, Today I have with me uh, Peter David, who is a TV, movie, game, novel, and of course comic writer. So he's worked in all these different mediums. Um, I know that you guys being comic fans, you probably want to hear about the comics uh, more than others. Uh, So he's written uh, Silver Surfer, Hulk, She-Hulk, uh, X Factor, Captain Marvel, uh, Star Trek, Star Trek comics or novels? Both. Both, yeah. So, <laughs> a lot of things. Uh, personally, I've read, mainly of yours, I've read Hulk and, okay. um, X Factor. Oh my goodness. Okay. X Factor is amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, kind of, um, kind of want to start, like, let's kind of start before the writing career. Like, what wh- were okay. you doing? <laughs> what did you do before you were writing? Like,
2: kind of. Well, I've always been writing ever since I was a kid. I mean, my father was a reporter, and my first writing came when I was about seven or eight years old. Ah. Um, One of the things he did as a reporter on the side was that he would review movies Mm -hmm. for his newspaper, and he went to go see a Godzilla film, and he took me along. Mm. And then we went back to to the newspaper office, and... He sat and wrote his review, and I sat and wrote my review. And he wound up reading my review and decided he liked my lead sentence better than he liked his lead sentence. Oh. (laughs) And he wound up taking my lead sentence. He credited me in his story. Nice. Um, But that was pretty much my very first writing exposure. Uh, How old were you again? Eight, nine years old, something like that. (laughs) Started at eight. (laughs) Oh, yeah, thereabouts. (laughs)
1: That's huge. So, what do you, what do you think you'll be doing if you weren't a writer?
2: Imagine it. <laughs> a world <laughs> where you're not a writer. I what can't. Do you think you'd be doing? I can't. It's tough, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you don't understand. People say to me, Where do you get your ideas? Why do you become a writer? Mm-hmm. It's because my brain is wired in such a way that not being a writer isn't an option. Right, exactly. The yeah. ideas come to me with such force. That I am compelled to write them down, nice. and then <laughs> ideally distribute them to as many people as I can. <laughs> ideally, with my name attached in as large letters as I can. It's the way that I I have to live. So, not being a writer really isn't an option for me. Right, right. That makes sense to me. So, uh, so there is
1: no all alternate version, alternate reality. Peter David's are writers. Yeah.
2: I mean, I did have another job. Mm -hmm. For a time, I worked in the direct sales department of Marvel Comics. Nice. But I continued to write on the side. I wrote novels, and then eventually I started writing comic books, and the novels and and comics wound up, Taking over my life, <laughs> gotcha. so I wound up after five years quitting the direct sales department and becoming a full-time writer.
1: Nice, very nice. Um, so, like all writers, every, every time I talk to uh, writers, uh, big or small, I hear uh, you know to get into, to get in writing, you just you just write, yeah. Um, and and a lot of your stuff you don't doesn't actually make it to the end. Right. Um, kind of what percentage did you say? Like rough percentage of your stuff do you think has made it to you know to the to the end game and what percentage is is uh, has, is you know kind of still sitting in your folders or you know notes or
2: oh 90% percent of what I write is finished mm-hmm. I mean it has to be I have obligations. <laughs> comic books novels you right. know, I I tend to complete something that I've started right right um, how much of that makes it to
1: the public? You think? Oh, most of it. Oh, nice, nice, nice. So there's 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 always that kind of a tip of the iceberg uh, kind of conversation that that a lot of writers have, where it's kind of like, well, yeah, I, I wrote five novels before my first novel got published, or or whatever. No, I wrote one <laughs> novel
2: before my first novel got published.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> that is that is incredible. So um, I always think to myself every time I, I'm reading your stuff, uh, X Factor mostly because I, I just love that run and Hulk is the other thing that I like. Um, I'm, I'm reading these stories and I'm thinking to myself like, wow. I, so I, I write, I, I started, you know, 10 or so years ago um, trying to figure my way through this game and I go, I'm reading Peter Davis stuff and I'm like, wow, this guy has been writing longer than I've been alive. That's awesome. You know? <laughs> so kind of like, do you ever have issues, and I expect not based on what you said earlier, do you ever have issues with keeping things fresh or coming up with new things or, 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 or keeping it relevant to the time
2: no ideas are always occurring to me and, and you know I'm always working on something right i always have a novel in the hopper i'm always thinking about a comic book i always have something going on in my head mm-hmm. yeah uh
1: yeah I, I i kind of the more that i write i kind of get that feel like wow i used to wonder how do you think of ideas but now i'm kind of like how do you not you know.
2: <laughs> you know, but uh but so well it's more than just thinking of ideas though. I mean you actually have to sit down and write it. I mean I right, cannot true. tell you the number of times I've had people come up to me and they say, Okay, I have an idea for a novel. Mm-hmm. Here's the deal. I will tell you the idea. Yeah. You write the novel and we'll split the money. <laughs> And thought, no, it doesn't work that way. Right, right. Is that what Ideas are a dime a dozen. It's mm-hmm. actually sitting down and doing something with them. That is the line of demarcation. Right, right. So
1: no. when uh, Marvel or DC or whatever publisher comes to you, are they? They're usually coming to you and saying, "Hey, we need you to, or we would like you to write this character." Or yes. do you Usually, oh, so it's usually them. So, usually, have, you, have they ever come to see you with a character that you're kind of like, ah, I'm not really feeling that one?
2: Sure, when they approached me, about writing the Hulk. <laughs> but then you have the an amazing have. run of the Hulk. <laughs> yeah, it's like I, I committed to doing six issues. Oh, wow. Yeah, 12 years later. You know. <laughs> yeah, um, wow. Gray Hulk
1: is where I remember most of your stuff. I, I, I do want to
2: emphasize, a lot of people credit me with the Gray Hulk. Uh-huh. No, Al Milgram okay. was the one who brought who restored him to his original gray. All right, you need to take that. That was down. that was not me. A lot of people say, How did you come up with the idea? And I go, I didn't. <laughs> that was Al. Uh
1: Greyhook's story are they're so good and even the color gray, thinking yeah. about grey hope. He is such a grey character. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like well, he's kind of a bad guy, right? But then, like, he kind of also, he's doing, he does things in a roundabout way that are kind of good. Yeah. You know? Um,
2: kind of, what are your feelings on writing kind of, you know, gray characters? I (laughs) I think all characters are gray when you get right down to it. Um, it's easy to say, you know, black and white. Oh, this guy's the black character. He's evil. The guy's the white character. He's pure. Mm -hmm. It, you know, people aren't that way. Right. The world isn't really divided into black and white. I mean, the most evil bastards in the world believe that what they're doing is for a just cause. I mean, mm-hmm. when those bastards, you know, brought down the Twin Towers, they believed they were heroes. Sure. Um, the guys who... Turn themselves into bombs. They don't think about the fact that they are killing innocent people. Mm-hmm. They think about the fact that they're going to be, you know, awarded with like forty virgins in the afterlife, mm-hmm. something like that. Right. Everyone, and I've actually had characters say this. Everyone is the hero of their own story. Mm-hmm. That's why the villain of stories is so important. Mm-hmm. It's because they should be relatable right no they should have motivations that make sense
1: mm-hmm. in
2: their own minds they're not evil
1: mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely um I mean that's why that's why I love Gray Hulk so much you know right like, he kind of he kind of has that feel where you don't exactly know how to feel about him but I kind of like right. him right you know <laughs> but uh but yeah so kind of so let me get to X Factor a little bit because this is like you know I love yeah. the Hulk I love the X Factor uh there is an issue in X-Factor, um, okay. issue number 39, okay? okay? Okay. I remember the exact issue um, where Siren is having a baby. Right. Siren has the baby, and right. it's Matt, Jamie Madrox's baby. Um, okay. For those who are listening, Jamie Madrox is multiple, man. He has yes. the ability to basically, I think it's impact or kinetic force makes it split. Exactly. You know, it's different uh, dupe of himself. Well, he gets a uh, siren pregnant you know they're, they're, they're t- well they're kind of together sort of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they have a questionable kinda. relationship <laughs> right. uh, and uh, she has a baby well she asks him to hold the baby right and um, he absorbs it and he absorbs it that to this day is still one of the shocking moments that I have ever read or watched <laughs> in anything <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I could not, I was I, I read it and I was like no
3: yeah
1: because how did you re- how does he respond to that you know sure how does, I mean, he didn't mean to. No. She knows he didn't mean to, but that was her baby. Right. Like, so moments like that, kind of, so what I'm getting at is, what? how do you get in the headspace to write moments like that? And, and are there, what's kind of another moment like that? Well, I like was actually
2: forced into that. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, what happened was I had her get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then I was informed that Marvel was going to be doing this big mega crossover, Mm. in which we had the birth of the first mutant baby since the whole um, decimation Mm storyline. And they said it can't be this baby that Siren has. It's it's got, you know, it's we've got a whole other thing planned for it. So Mm. something else has to happen with this baby. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what the hell I was going to do. <laughs> you know, and I was racking my brains. I mean, I didn't want to just, you know, have miscarriage or something like that. That's some kind of boring. And I was walking around the San Diego Comic Con, and the idea of Madrox absorbing the baby mm-hmm. suddenly leaped into my head because I had laid groundwork for the possibility that... She had actually slept with a dude. Oh, nice. I mean, I I had done that. You know, people say to me, you know, oh, you plan all these things. No, I just toss things (laughs) out and then eventually sometimes I get back to it. Right, right. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, what if she actually conceived the child with a dupe, and because it's the baby of a dupe, the moment Madrox touches it, he absorbs the baby. Right, right. And I, I had this vision of Madrox holding the baby and absorbing it into his chest, and I mm-hmm. went, oh my God, that is that would solve the whole problem. <laughs> right. And I went running around the convention looking for Andy Schmidt, who was my editor on the series.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> and I found him, I said, Andy...
2: I've solved the Madrox thing. <laughs> and I told him the concept. And and Andy, who had a newborn child, mm-hmm. said, Oh, my God, that's the most messed up thing I've ever heard of. Let's do it. <laughs> and the funny thing was, in between the time where I came up with the idea and we actually executed it, mm-hmm. we wound up having two editorial changes on X-Factor. Mm-hmm. And I had to explain the concept <laughs> to two editors, sequentially. And each of them had the exact same reaction. They said, my God, that's the most messed up thing I've ever heard. Let's do that.
1: Yeah, that oh, that one hit me so hard. I was oh. just like,
0: wow. And the funny oh. thing was, you know, I thought
2: to myself, this is going to so bum the living crap out of X Factor fans, I'm going to have to have a major upswing. Mm-hmm in the next issue Mm. in order to make up for it. Right. You know, and I came up with the notion of Jamie Mandrox being so depressed about it that he's just going to blow his brains out. Mm. And who stops him? Layla Miller, returning now as an adult. Who knows stuff. Yes, who knows stuff. (laughs) And the the funny thing was, I didn't tell the editor that I was going to do that. Right. And he reads my script, and he calls up, and he says, wait a minute, you want to bring Layla back? And I said, yes. (laughs) He says, you can't just have her show up. If we're going to bring Layla back, we have to do a mega-advertising thing that says, coming coming in issue 40, the return of Layla Miller. (laughs) And I said, no, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. I am so sick of the concept that we are always telegraphing Everything we do, months ahead of time, we right. can never surprise anybody. I, I fully
1: agree with that. I said, I just <laughs> want to
2: have her show up and have fans go, oh, my God, Layla's back. And the great thing was, some months later, after I talked the editor into it, I was doing a Q&A at a convention. Mm-hmm. And the issue was going to be coming out the following week. And a guy in the audience said, are there any plans to bring back Layla Miller? Now I didn't want to lie to the guy, but I didn't want to blow the reveal of the issues coming out the following week. And I said, and I thought about it, I said, okay, you know Marvel Comics, right? He said, yeah. And I said, if we were going to be bringing back Layla Miller, wouldn't we be doing a big advertising thing that says coming in this issue, the return of Layla Miller? And he said, yes. I said, have we done that? He says, no. I said, then that should answer your question. Uh, now, I didn't lie to the guy. Exactly. Didn't not lie to you. I said, that should answer your question. Now, he's it probably didn't. like, well, people, Pete, well, people I just wish to God I could have been there when he read Issue 40. Right. I'm like, that's son of <laughs> <I'm> a bitch.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, oh, I, I love that whole, I mean, that's really how I fell in love with X Factor. Oh, great. See, Jamie, I mean, I've seen Jamie before, sure. but really reading that. Right. Siren. I mean, I, I've seen Siren before, but all of those characters. Um, now Shadowstar, I've always loved, but uh, <laughs> but but all of those characters, I really came to love them in that okay. run. Um, has any has anything like in that run or any other runs or any any books, games, whatever? Is um, anything made you like really
2: cry or come close to tears as you're writing it? Um, on occasion, on occasion. Um uh, I I I I cried during a sequence in what Savage Beast when uh, oh. when one of the newborn babies that Betty Banner has dies. I, I oh got yeah, very upset. I got very upset about that. Yeah, um, I have occasionally shed tears at, at other moments in comics. Mm-hmm. I didn't shed a tear during the Madrox sequence. But that was just <laughs> so you know. I was so pleased with myself with having come up with a dramatic way of solving the problem that I, had, that I had been into <laughs> that I was just sitting there going, God, the fans are just going to go nuts when this comes out. <laughs> They're going to go out of their freaking minds. Right, right. Uh,
1: so how about um, in your writing, do you have any uh, Do you have any like Easter eggs or, or things that you kind of slip into your writing that people may or may not have – uh, caught um in the past oh yeah
2: i'm all, i'm always tossing in you know little bits of business i mean um i've i've thrown in doc I, I threw doctor who into a star trek novel oh nice yeah i'm always ta- <laughs> i'm always tossing little things into star trek novels because uh they never catch it. <laughs> the fans always do. Right, right. I mean, I in in one in one Trek novel, I made reference to the ludium Q thirty six explosive space modulator, you know, from, from Marvin the Martian. You know, I, I'm I'm always tossing in little little bits of business and gags, uh, and and people pick up on them. I and mean, for example, um, I was doing a a six issue Captain Marvel storyline. And the first issue of the storyline was titled Pops. Mm. The second one was titled Six. Mm -hmm. And somebody wrote in and said, okay, if the next issue is titled Squish, (laughs) I know what he's doing. Which it was. Because for those who are listening who do not know what I was doing, that is the opening sequence of a song called uh, uh, "The Cell Block Tango" from the uh, musical Chicago. Nice. It has six women lining up, and it's a pop six squish, uh, uh-uh, Cicero lip Right. As they then proceed to tell the stories of how they killed these people, <laughs> and somebody, you yeah, know, and somebody realized, somebody realized what I was doing. Very, nice. Very the, nice. The fans, there's always fans who pick up on this stuff. Always. Right, right. Man, I, I love it. I love it. Uh,
1: so, unfortunately, we've got to wrap it up. Um, okay. Uh, I do want to. I do want to say thank you to Peter David. Um, definitely appreciate it uh, You're the interview. Um, if if anybody has any questions or wants to reach them on social media, you have places where. They can find you oh yeah, right?
2: I'm on Facebook. I have my website, peterdavid.net. I have a Patreon account, so uh, and I'm on Twitter, so I'm and I'm on Facebook, so I'm pretty easy to I'm pretty easy to find.
1: Okay, awesome, awesome, definitely appreciate that,
2: um, yeah. and hopefully get to talk to you again soon. Okay, sounds good.
0: I hope you guys enjoyed that last interview. The next one is with comic writer Marv Wolfman.
1: Hey everyone, this is John again, um, aka Scaritz, with Do Even Comic Book. Uh, today I'm here with writer of Crisis Between Infinite Earths, uh, Teen Titans, Tomo Dracula, Spider Man, Daredevil, Batman. There's, there's a there's a long list. Writer of everything. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Marv Wolfman What's going on Mr. Wolfman? Hi there uh, So uh, I just kind of want to talk I mean first of all it's, it's great to be talking to you um, I've read uh, I, I wasn't around I <laughs> didn't exist yet when the Teen Titans first came out but uh, later on I read the Teen Titans and was <laughs> completely captivated by it so <laughs> I definitely thank you for that work that uh, you and George did uh, My pleasure <laughs> Uh, so I, I kind of want to ask, uh, kind of in, a, in, a, in another world, uh, if you uh, weren't a writer, what do you think you would be doing?
3: Uh, probably selling fruit
1: or flowers
3: at a uh, at a uh, freeway exit or something. I don't know <laughs> who I did the only thing I ever really wanted to
1: do was write. Right. Uh, awesome. Awesome. When, when did you start? Did you start uh, well before your professional career, or you know how of... How did that I published
3: of... fanzines for years mm-hmm. as, a, uh, as, a, as a young fan, uh, and I did it. I did tons of that stuff. Uh, I worked for the fanzines long before I became a professional. I came up with stories always on my own.
1: Right, right. So, th- wh- what was the first publisher you worked for? It was uh, DC. Okay.
3: Uh, I did an issue of Blackhawk.
1: Oh wow, wow! And then from there on, it just, everything just. Okay. just launched from there <laughs> uh, so like a, a lot of writers like to say that uh, hey there's, there's a lot of writing that you do before you get in I mean uh, bef- before you get published before you make your big break or what have you um, what, what percentage of your writing do you think uh, is published versus unpublished
3: oh almost everything was published
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah just just some of
3: my very early fan stuff uh-huh. wasn't worth being published Uh even a lot of my early stuff wasn't wasn't there yet, but it must
1: have shown some promise that right. companies did use Right, on. some potential, because you already, you already had the... They saw the the, the marks uh, of genius even early. Genius, <laughs> I don't know,
3: but they, saw, they certainly saw somebody who could make deadlines.
1: Right, right. Uh, I, I kind of want to ask a little bit about uh, Teen Titans. Uh, again, the Teen Titans came out, I, I believe it was around... 80s, 80s, I think. Um, So, you know, I don't don't know if it, did did it kind of follow uh, an idea of X-Men? I I, I heard a lot of people talk about the similarities, or was it its own thing completely? How did the Teen Titans come Uh, about? A lot of people said back then that it it
3: was, uh, you know, taking off on the X-Men because It was an old team of characters Mm who came back and added some new ones. Right. (laughs) And neither Chris, Paramount, nor I, who knew each other because I'd worked for Marvel for years, um, thought there was any similarity. All we Mm -hmm. were doing was taking an old team and bringing them back. Right. (laughs) Um, And people were bringing back old comics all the time. Mm -hmm. The biggest things that I think made people feel that um, they were similar was that we both did it better. Nah, yeah. Both the stronger material and more up to date material, but in truth, truth to tell, I was never an X Men reader. Uh, ah, yeah. uh, you know, I'd see episodes, I'd read occasional comics, but mm-hmm. it wasn't a book I followed. Mm-hmm. And X Men to me was um, a group book. Uh, I wanted a family book. I wanted something closer to Fantastic Four. Right. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And if anybody said there's a similarity between Titans and Fantastic Four, I couldn't argue. But with Titan, with X-Men, no, no, not really.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I absolutely love the new Teen Titans, right? It's, it's got to be one of my favorite runs of all time. Um, who, who do you think your are uh, who's your favorite character to write, um, do you think?
3: I, uh, as I always say, that's like asking a parent who's your favorite kid. And even if you do have a favorite kid, you don't tell anybody. Right. Uh, So, uh, obviously since George and I created them all, we like them in different ways because they let us tell different types of
1: stories. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, kind of, so you've been writing forever, (laughs) way longer than, uh, I can imagine writing, um, I, I write myself, but I, you know, I was doing it for the past ten years or so, um, and it's always cool to talk to somebody who's been doing it for longer than I've even been around. You know, um, I, I kind of want to ask how how um, is it tough to keep ideas fresh, or how do you keep ideas fresh?
3: I think what happens is if you look at the current books at any given time, <laughs> the new crop of writers are really pushing things even further. Every group. Pushes further than the book beforehand, right? Um, because the book beforehand has opened up certain doors to them mm-hmm. and have tried different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you pay attention to what's being done, you could, you should be able to get excited by what those people are doing and then try to beat them out. Try, <laughs> to, try to do, yeah. try to go even further and do mm-hmm. more powerful stories. Than you. And right. that's essentially what I do, since I still love writing completely, and that's all I want to do. <laughs> uh, I, if I don't keep up to date, uh, there's no reason to use me. I have to keep surprising
1: people in many ways. Right, right. It feels like when I, I used to run track, I always ran faster. When I the person in front of me, and I could see them. When there was someone in front of me, I always ran faster. You know? <laughs> so, it, it, yeah, it reminds me of that. Um, so, what do you think? Uh, well a little bit about uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth, I I think that's still one of the biggest undertakings in comics of all time. Uh, I mean, there were so many things, completely restructured, I guess, the DC universe on, I guess, out of the, you know, beyond the fourth wall and within uh, the comics themselves. Um, What were the, did you you find that to be different from other writing projects? Did you find it to be an overwhelming undertaking? I mean, you did it well, but what's kind of your thoughts on that? Well, the the
3: thing that's specific with crisis is that there was a purpose for it. Right. There was was certain things that I needed to have done in order to justify the existence of this. Remember, nobody had ever done a book like this before, a series of books like this. And um, therefore, it was vitally important that I get all the concepts down very clearly and in advance, so that I wouldn't be surprised later on. Everything was worked <laughs> out in advance, mm-hmm. and then it was much easier to be able to follow what I had planned rather than try to do it on a uh, month-to-month basis. Mm-hmm. Um, it's To do the job that we were going to do was a lot of work, and I can't deny that. Mm-hmm. It was purely a lot of work. A lot of it wasn't fun. But right. it, it, To tell the story that I had determined that we had to tell uh, it was going to be a lot of work because right. I had to be in charge of so much of this project. Right. Uh, I was the editor as
1: well as the writer. Ah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's a huge... I mean, such a such a great... One of my favorite runs in comics. Um, awesome. Um, so what do you think... Um, I, know, I know you said earlier about the, the characters. It's hard to pick a, a favorite character. Do you have a favorite moment or scene that you've written?
3: I think... Uh I mean, it's it's the expected scene, probably the death of uh, Supergirl, uh, but not because she died. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that was irrelevant in many right. ways. Is that it created an awful lot of emotion in that story, yes. and we got people to care, even the people who had never bought Supergirl, mm-hmm. uh, about this character. And was the the thing that succeeded the most was making that moment as powerful. As it needed to be, right? And you're never sure if that's going to happen or not. And in this
1: particular case. Fortunately, right. it did. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was yeah. honestly it got me <laughs> emotionally. I mean, that whole the whole thing with her fighting, and it, I remember thinking she was so great because Superman tried to fight him, um, any any modern I believe, uh, and he was she did better than him. Yeah. And then she ended up biting me a bullet. It was, it was emotional. <laughs> well, and, that, and it had to be.
3: And the fact that 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 work that scene worked, mm-hmm.
1: makes that so powerful. Right, right, right. Uh, so uh, we're going to wrap it up shortly. I, I kind of have just a couple more questions. Uh, do you have any Easter eggs or secrets or just hidden little things in any of your stories that, uh, that nobody's ever taught before, or that you know of, was ever taught before?
3: Um, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, because I, frankly, it's been so long since yeah. i worked on those things. Right. Uh, that was 40 year almost 40 years right. ago. Um, uh, I forget if we did any, if we planted anything. But back then, of course, you didn't mm-hmm. do, you didn't put in Easter eggs. <laughs> that that did not exist.
1: Right. Well, well I, any of your, any of your the stories. not be actual Easter eggs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I, I couldn't say for sure. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and do you have any um, future projects that you want people to know about or anything that's out now that you want people uh, to be aware of? Uh, yeah, anything coming de- up. Yeah. This
3: December, uh, sometime in like November or December, mm-hmm. DC's reprinting my last Superman story, on yeah. Man and Superman. It's going to wow. be an oversized hardcover mm-hmm. edition with a lot new artwork mm-hmm. uh, not changing the story but it will be uh, a lot of artwork added a lot of uh, right. other things uh, as well and I consider The Man and Superman one of uh, the best things I've ever done so right. yeah. um, I'm really thrilled that they're doing it in a large
1: large printed version of it Awesome, awesome, awesome Well, uh, yeah, that's all the time we got uh, okay. Definitely, I'm glad you came out to Dragon Con this year Uh, invite (laughs) me I'll come back Uh, absolutely I hope to talk to you again soon and I definitely appreciate it thank
3: you
0: and lastly we have our interview with Kyle Starks comic writer and artist What's up, y'all? This is John, aka Garretts with Do You and Comic Book. Uh, today I have Kyle Starch, writer of Sex Castles, uh, Rock Candy Mountain, and Ricky Morty. I personally, my favorite is Rock Candy Mountain, so you guys should go read that. Uh, what's up, Kyle? How you doing? Uh, doing good, man. It's good to see you again. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, uh, for those who don't know, I actually met Kyle before at MomoCon, so that was fun. So I'm glad to be able to talk again. Um, so I kinda wanna, I kinda wanna hit first
4: on Sex Castle, a little bit, since so that was kind of like your your foray, your foray into things. Yeah, Sex Castle is it's my baby. I mean, my entire career can almost be drawn back to one book, for sure. Word. So for no, for the creator side of things, all right, that was your first. Was that, was that the first book you ever wrote? It, period? it was my second. It was my second graphic novel uh. ever, and I did that like four years ago, five years ago, something like that. Word. So I started real late. I'm 42 now, so I didn't get started making comics until. I think I was 36. Right, right.
1: Nice, nice. Now, as far as motivation for you personally, was it tough to like keep, keep it like going, like actually get it done?
4: I, so here's what, so I think this isn't, that's a really interesting question. For me, I figured out like, um, so the first book I did was a webcomic called, uh, The Legend of Ricky Thunder. It's about wrestling. It doesn't matter. Nice. <laughs> but I figured out, cause I, my thing was I was starting to have kids, which is why I started so late. All right. And, uh, my thing was, how do I, I, want, I never did a full comic, which is even, say, a 25-page comic. Like, I probably did, like, 10 pages goofing around my when I was younger. How do I get myself to do uh, a comic book? Because I really enjoyed the process. And I found, for me, the life hack is if I say I'm going to do something on Wednesday, I have to. Like, that's a personal compulsion of mine is that I can't be late. I can't, I, I can't uh, like, avoid a date that I promised, like, a responsibility that I've made a promise to. I'm incapable. So for that, I did, uh, I'm going to post Monday and Wednesdays. Some days I did them that day in an hour and they weren't great. Mm-hmm. But I, I finished it because, like, for me, that's my compulsion. Like, that's yeah. how you trick Kyle Starks into doing something <laughs> is you say, can you have it by this date? It be absolutely, no matter how impossible it is. So for me, that was really the driving force for that first book I did is that like, I have to. Hit, I, I have to. So I think there's a thing. Like, you have to figure out the thing that will embarrass you if you mm-hmm. don't do it. Right. And, uh, so like, like I, I will take a pie in the face if I don't have this thing done in six months or whatever. Right. Publicly or whatever it is. Right. Once I did one book, I found that I loved making comics. Mm-hmm. Um, that the next one, it became my hobby and it became my compulsion is that I, I do it every day and I still do all these years later. Whenever I'm writing and drawing, like I did with Sex Castle and Fill the Mall and Rock Candy Mountain, um, I just have to do it all the time. Like there's right. nothing else I want to do. So once I tricked myself into finishing a thing, all I want to do is finish things. Right, right. Um, I got you. <laughs> and I think you know it's it's funny. My peer Chris Schweitzer, who's not here, who's usually here every year, says the difference between an amateur to pro is that a pro finishes things, mm-hmm. and that's true. Like yeah, that's true. Yeah. You, and you know, people go and it's a it's a, especially people who are you know pros. I did air quotes for that. Mm-hmm. They'll be like, oh, how do you like how do you become a comic writer? And we all will say, or how do you make a comic book? How do you become a comic book creator? And we all say, oh, you make a comic book. <laughs> once you make a comic book, you're a comic book creator. Mm-hmm. Or once you write a book, you're a book writer. Right. Then you want to be, the secret is, how do you become a good comic book writer? How right. do you become a good writer, right? <laughs> and that's part of the process, too. It's like the evolution of it. Well, you know,
1: something I noticed about Sex Castle from the beginning is that you already had something in that book that captured people for you. So you were, like, good from the jump,
4: right? <laughs> I think, I, I think you know, uh, it's funny because, like, there's uh, Matt Fraction got me that that job because right. uh, he randomly saw... I, I kickstarted started Sex Castle. Mm-hmm. He saw... There's a guy who worked for a really big comic site that's now gone. Mm-hmm. And they really pushed my stuff. And I was always like, you know, without these two people mm-hmm. who really put in a spotlight on my work, um, I wouldn't be where I am, and I'm so thankful. But both those guys are like, well, if it wasn't any good, mm-hmm. then it wouldn't have mattered. But that being said, there's a ton of good stuff no one sees because maybe those people aren't vocal or maybe they can't travel to shows or who knows. Right. Um, and there's a lot to that. But I think also why i sort of came in in many ways fully formed is that i had so many years of experience of, of consuming <laughs> pop culture right. and i knew what i liked mm-hmm. and this is what i tell people when they're starting is like i made the thing i wanted to see right i, I wasn't trying to be like oh man um people should sure just love whatever vampires right in 97 <laughs> i was like i want i want the thing that doesn't exist and i'm going to make it mm-hmm. and those books which are the three that you know um Like, I did a wrestling book because there weren't wrestling comics at the time, and I really liked wrestling, and I thought it'd be funny, and I Mm -hmm. thought it'd be interesting to make a thing that didn't really exist, that I wished exist, is that that will help you finish, too, because you're making this thing. If I read those books, they're still enjoyable to me um, because I made something that I wanted to exist in the world. Right, right. So if you weren't – so you
1: you said you started at 36. So what did you do before your writing? And if you weren't writing now, what what would you think you'd be doing?
4: The same thing I was – I was working for newspapers and prints. Like, not – I was the guy – that the newspaper came to that we, we basically brought to press. Mm-hmm. Like the in between there's it's what they call production design. Uh and I would still be doing that. I was doing that up until four years ago. I was working at sort of a uh illustrious plant in my hometown that had been there for 140 years, it was one of the good quote air quotes again, good places <laughs> to work in town. Right. And I, I got the job there, it paid really well, it had great union benefits. We uh, we had a second kid. It's like, oh, this is my job. This is what I'm going to do. And making comics is a hobby I like a lot. It pays a little bit of money, which is great. The best kind of hobby. <laughs> um, but they closed that plant down because it got bought out by a hedge fund. And my wife was... I mean, anyone else is like, well, we have to move if I'm going to keep doing this because I've worked at all the newspapers here. Two of them that closed, right? Mm-hmm. I worked at the big printing plant. Like, this is it. We have to find another printing plant. But my wife was like, so let's see if you can make comics for a year. And, like, it's worked out. So I'm on year four <laughs> of being a professional comic creator. And I, you know... It's funny in that regard, too, to be like, oh, like where, where do you see yourself in five years? Right. And my answer is, like, I hope I'm still making comic books professionally in five years. Right. But even if I wasn't, and this goes back again to that first question of how do you finish things, is like, I'd still be doing comic books. I just wouldn't be able to do as many, you know, I at one point I was doing three books this year. I wouldn't be able to do that if it wasn't my full-time job, obviously. But right. it's like I'd still be making comic uh, books just because that's my compulsion. Mm-hmm. And it's the type of stories I want to tell. Uh, so, so uh medium
1: wise uh do you see yourself as is your is your love for for telling stories specifically comics or do you think that it could expand to like if someone was like hey come come write a kill them all video game <laughs> you know or uh you know uh, yeah it's funny cuz we we, were, did, we talked about this before we started <laughs> right yeah um,
4: is that i've been i've been asked before to do like like when the first book got optioned someone was like oh do you want to write the script and i was like i don't know how to do that i i don't want to do something mm-hmm. I I'm really only comfortable doing this one thing that, that being said, like, I don't think I would be a, opposed, but I'm, I'm 42 and I'm really trying to play to my strengths and do the things that bring me joy. I, I've changed a lot on, on writing a movie script because one, I just got a terrible one of my stuff. It's really bad. It's so bad that I think, well, I could have done like, they might as well have paid me to have done a bad job too. Right. 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 Um, I think anything else, I think of, you know, prior to this year when someone was like, oh, don't you want to be involved if they make a movie? And I've always said, well, you know, it's that's my baby. They can never change my baby. This is people who want to put my baby through college. Right, right. Like if someone wants to <laughs> pay for my daughters to go to college and there's no funny business, like I'm open to that discussion. True. Um, but so, yeah, I, I mean, I love comics, man. I I loved them when I was a kid and I was, a, I was out of comics for about a decade. It's like I just love something about the process as being a cartoonist. Um I find writing just outright writing for someone else to be a lot more challenging than basically telling my stories which are kind of organic and mm-hmm. uh, I do I can change things on the fly and no one has to get paid for a new page rate cuz like it's all me it's all me right Right Um that I really like being a cartoonist I really like telling stories through comic books I've been really lucky this year cuz America Henderson did assassination and mm-hmm. Chris Schweitzer did Mars attacks and they're my best friends mm-hmm. they're also so remarkably talented that it was like writing for myself. Right. I didn't have to. I didn't have to force feed them anything, or hold their hand through a bit, or afterwards really go, "Oh no, that's bit's wrong." Like you totally missed the point.
1: Right. I, I was gonna. I was gonna ask about that because I was like, um, I was gonna ask if you if you prefer to like draw your own
4: stuff or have somebody else draw. And I, I mean, it's like well, Erica's Eric like right. Eric Erica's right next to me. I prefer to do my own because, and the reason why is that I'm very much uh, a type A creatively. Mm-hmm. I very much want to drive the car. Yeah. Um, I very much want the company. Um but someone if, I think if you're a cartoonist, which means you write and you draw mm-hmm. amongst other things, is that you can see what it's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. So, you know, well, this page is gonna be a splash page and it should basically look like this. Yeah. Those guys are better artists than me. Like I that's I don't have the ego to be <laughs> like, I'm I'm on Erica's tier. Mm-hmm. I think for my books, my art works, but it's better if someone very good draws it. That's just the way <laughs> it works. Um so for, like, Erica and Chris is a real dream. I've mostly never had a bad experience. Um, Mark Ellerby, who draws Rick and more, is the same. I'll yeah. write a bit, and he'll make it better. Uh, I've been really lucky that way. But if I had to choose, if you were, like, from here on out for the rest of your career, you can either write, which means you can do more,
3: mm-hmm.
4: or you could just write and draw. I would do write and draw. I, right. I would rather – that's really my happy spot. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because, like, I went a year without drawing, mm-hmm. and I forgot. <laughs> so when I started to draw again – I was like, it's like every time it's like I, I, like, I realize like how much I love sitting and drawing because I I don't write scripts for myself. Right. I I tell myself stories over and over It's in my head and then mm-hmm. I just bring it to life. Because of that, it gives me a lot of room that because if I it's so I have a in Rock Candy Mountain issue one, there's a page that has something like twenty two panels on it, right? Yeah. Because I wanted to get this full fight scene in. <laughs> right. And I was getting to the end of the book, it's yeah. like, well, this fight has to be in there. I would never ask anyone else to do a twenty page. I, I just wouldn't. And the books will maybe suffer because of that. Or maybe there's a more clever way to sort of do the same it's, it's thing. It's more like you said earlier, the word you use, organic, it's right. More organic. Yeah. There's just something about
1: that, which is always, always, you mentioned Matt fraction earlier. Matt fraction wrote that Hawkeye book with, um, it's yeah, I'll joke. I'll joke, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And I'm like, are they the same? Like, did they fuse? Because <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure they're both like super
4: excited about it. I'm sure they were both like bouncing off of each other. I, I mean, knowing Matt, like, I don't think Matt's type A like I am. Um, <laughs> but that's definitely a book that has a certain vision. That yeah. I think, like, sometimes you get the right team together. That's what you always hope it's for. That, that scene of Rock Canyon Mountain, like, that's, that's my favorite thing for you that I read. It's Rock
1: Mountain. Uh, I I personally like that fight scene because it feels like, like, you, like, it feels like it would be hard for two people to do that. I'm not saying it's impossible, you know, I but, really, like, so you really You have to feel. respect your
4: peers a little <laughs> bit, you know? Like, you just can't expect, like, right. I just wouldn't, I, I I have a pitch out right now and, and I was like, Because I, and I'm like telling myself, i was like, well, I would do it with Chris because we're going to do another book with Chris. Like, I would Mm -hmm. I would ask Chris to do, 22 panels, but he's also became very much like my my, you know my best friend in real life and in comics, Mm -hmm. and that's different. Yeah, because like, well, he gets where I'm coming from, and you know, I know where he's coming from. And if it takes that much, it takes that much. Mm -hmm. But man, I would never do it on Rick and Morty. I would (laughs) never because like that's a job. It's sometimes Mm -hmm. even you know it's a job of creativity, and we all love that we're not punching clocks, right. but it's still work, right. you know, it's still exactly. work, and you don't want to make it more work for somebody, so, mm-hmm. no, no, I,
1: I get that, um, so, um something else I, I I kind of, I kind of got, um, from, well, you're writing in general, funny, like, there's a lot of funny stuff in there, love it, so you, you kind of have, like, this light-hearted kind of thing, but somehow you still, you still hit on those key themes, you know, like, you like, like, some, like, kind of heartstring pulling kinds of things. Yeah, man. How
4: do you I, balance that, you know? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I think there's, I've been at, like, that's, for me, that's just the type of story I tell. There's, right. there's kicks, there's jokes, and I would, if there's not a little bit heart in it, mm-hmm. here's the thing for me, like, jokes are great, and you can do a whole book of jokes, and it's, right. you do all the different, here's a visual gag, and here's, here's some wordplay, and here's a humor situation. Right. Even if you go, that was funny, at the end, it's forgettable. Mm -hmm. but if you put something in there where you feel for one of those characters or there's a motivation that seems real then you remember it because of that stuff right Uh, the books I do that don't have any heart to it I don't love I don't love them as much Um, and they're good Uh, Mars Attacks I just with Chris Schweitzer Uh which is like a dumb licensed property that no one cares about (laughs) or very few people care about because it's like it's Mars Attacks for the most part people know it from a movie in 97 or whatever it's like we did a story about a father and his dad sort of a father and a dad trying to repair this relationship they've had in the midst of the Martian apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's why I love that book. Like, it's funny, it's got huge bonkers action, uh, Schweitzer's so good, but it's like, it's the heart that makes it powerful. Right. I don't know how I do it. Some people get hit 90 mile per hour past the balls, you know?
1: Right. Yeah, when I saw Mars Attack come back, I was like, wow, like, I, I remember this around the time of, what, Starship Troopers or something? Like, yes, I don't know, around from that In the time. mid-90s, it's right. all, <laughs> And it's based on the card
4: set from the 50s. So it's like, it's, it's an old thing. It's like, if you don't like Mars Attacks, you're not going to read it. But it's like, we made something really special, and it's mm-hmm. because of all those things you just said. Right. It's funny, there's lots of huge action, and it's heartfelt. There's a lot of right. really sweet things that happen in that book that have, I think, meaning. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone has a dad, you it, know? It, like,
1: every layer of it is like, you know, I, never, I read a couple of because I'm like, I was kind of like in the same boat, like, why don't I read Mars Attacks? And I was like, you know what? Let me read Mars Attacks, yeah. though, because why not, right? Yeah. So I checked, I'm like, wow, like, it really does hit all those I mean, all the way down to the letter, isn't it? Is
0: Schweitzer did all of it. Is that Hassan on the lettering? No, Schweitzer did all of Schweitzer. it. Oh, one person did all of it. Too? Wow! Yes. Yeah. yeah, like
1: excellent, yeah. excellent, excellent work. Um, so we gotta get ready to wrap it up soon. But before we, we roll out, what um, Easter eggs do you ha- have? You have you put Easter eggs or little sneak things in there right. that you haven't? You purposely didn't say exactly what it is on the I, top. I do it all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> Can you give us hints of some some of the stuff that nobody's ever mentioned before?
4: Uh, so kill them, so kill them all, which is my book from Oni, is ostensibly if John Woo did the raid. All right, yeah, right. it's like a reverse Die Hard, where everyone's finding their way up to the building, <laughs> right. and it's all about. Basically, I saw. Um, uh, oh, I'm blanking because I'm on the spot. I, I I really got back into John Woo because it's John Woo, right? Yeah, and one of his movies has like a. I can't believe. It's so embarrassing about a podcast, and I remember I'm trying to remember the name of it too. I think um, I'm of just talking about it. Anyway, Italian fat. It has like a 30 minute fight sequence where they're fighting their way through this hospital, and there's a big. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of it so bad. Everyone's like yelling at me. Everyone <laughs> in this podcast is yelling. Um, but it's like, oh, I want to do a book that's just a 200 page fight sequence. So I'm just going to do a reverse. All right. It ended up not being that. But I also did this sort of moonlighting thing with the two main characters. One's an ex cop, and one's the ex former greatest hitman. Mm-hmm. Where, uh, and I rarely talk about this, but like, there's a thing of like where. It, it's subtext is like, these two would be perfect for each other. Mm-hmm. And in the course of the story, there's things that say that that's easy. But so here's the thing I added. This female character keeps sort of being drawn to like dolphins. <laughs> um, like when she's supposed to pick her spirit animal, she's like, Oh, it would be a dolphin. But he's like, no, no, pick a tiger. It's a tiger. Like, why would you pick a dolphin? That's dumb. <laughs> and then she has like uh, some sticker. Like there's kind of like a weird little dolphin thing. And at certain points she says things that implies this other person would be great for, her. um, but his name is Japanese for dolphin.
0: So it's oh, like a little stuff
4: like that. Right, I right. always hide stuff. And I'm reading a book right now where I'm doing a lot of like rearranging letters to make people's names. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, that's fun. It's sex castles full of it. There's un- there's things that are that happen in the background. And I think when I when you do those things as a storyteller – um, not to, not to force feed them, but when they naturally sort of occur. Right. It makes it feel like there's more happening in the book. Exactly. Yeah. And if, you, in, in, people can't put their finger, like, you can't put your finger on it. Right. But something, there's something more happening than just what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. And I do that a lot with, with, you know, where characters are from, are, there's a little stuff in the background. There's stuff in Rocky Mountain that I can't think of right now because I'm so far mm-hmm. removed yeah. from it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that stuff's fun. Uh, I did a book called Dead of Winter, which is based on a board game. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, the thing is, like, I want to tell this great story. I'm not trying to sell a board game, so I made a book that's good whether you read the board game or not. But if, right. if you know the board game, there's tons of stuff in the background mm-hmm. that we put in that doesn't affect the story in a way that maybe had to tell a different story. Mm-hmm. But also is clearly a love letter to mm-hmm. this book. I think stuff like that's super good. Right. I love doing it. Um, I try not to break my back over it. Right. Um, but I have a lot of stuff like where did this – like if there's a character that doesn't seem like they have a very full – like origin, explain what everyone mm-hmm. else does. Like it's in the book. Right, like, right. I put that in the book where other characters are. They say things mm-hmm. that sort of give things away.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, That's fun. Yeah, like character fun. Okay. I, like, don't, I, I don't like it when
4: I, I don't love like a look at what I did, but I right. really love telling a second story that right. no one's reading. Like, but it's there. If you if you mm-hmm. if you deep dive on mm-hmm. Sex Castle or Kill Them All for sure, yeah, you'd be like, Well, there's this whole other story, <laughs> right. but you'd have to really effort it. But it, it's it's always in order too, so like you mm-hmm. can follow it. Because like, I that's like fun. That's why the publishers like oh, it's like moonlighting. I'm like, that's good that you got that because I didn't never wrote that romance. Right. But there's clearly like a secret romance happening. Right. That right. never happens. There's a I romance know. that <laughs> never Like that's fun for me.
1: Yeah, yeah. I lo- I, lo- I love that kind of stuff. Easter eggs and little references and stuff like that. That's my thing. But um, yeah. So we're on time here because we are at Dragon Con and you know. Uh, Media Relations team Is moving us along (laughs) It's a good one though But yeah But you know I definitely love Talking to you Um, Talked to you before Hopefully I'll talk to you Again soon in the future Um, But yeah That's all the time we've got Yeah
4: thanks man Thanks for having me Yeah thank you Yeah be good bud